You are listening to Sunday Gospel Reflections, a podcast made possible through the work of the Institute of Catholic Culture. I'm Father Hezekiah Carnazzo, founder and executive director of the Institute and your host for this program. In this podcast, we'll explore the historical and literary context, themes, and significance of the readings for the coming Sunday. This podcast was originally recorded as a video. For the full viewing experience, please visit us at instituteofcatholicculture.org. Blessed is our God at all times, both now and ever, and to ages of ages. Amen. Heavenly King, Consoler, Spirit of Truth, present in all places and filling all things. The treasury of blessings and the giver of life, come and dwell within us. Cleanse us of all stain and save our souls, O good one. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Welcome back, Annie Mitchell. How are you? I am doing great, Father Hezekiah. Excited to talk about these readings today. It's pretty exciting, actually. We're 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 preparing here now for the solemnity of our Lord Jesus Christ, King of the Universe. That's right, the solemnity of Christ the King. Um, and um, and um, uh, wanted well. We're going to have some time to spend together, but we've got some resources on our website also and uh, that you can type in. Just type in King, go in the search button, you know, whatever in the ICC, King, and you're going to get Dr. O'Donnell on the Feast of Christ the King. Also, I was looking and we've got a talk that I did on the Ascension, uh, the Feast of the Ascension of our Lord. So when you're talking about Christ as King, from a mm-hmm. biblical standpoint, bingo, that's yeah. a nice talk to go listen to. Because they're talking all about his enthronement in heaven and how he then, and the connection between Ascension and Pentecost. So, look, Ooh, if you've got a little cool. extra time on your hands, that may be where you want to go. If you've got a lot of time on your hands, then I would suggest going and uh, doing our year-long political theory course with Dr. Chad Pecknold, unless you're already um, enrolled in that. So there's lots of resources here at the Institute of Catholic Culture, and we're going to take a look at the biblical text, but I want to say here at the beginning, at the outset, because we're going to be talking a lot about how we live in accordance with Christ, with Jesus. I don't like to say Christ the King, because Christ means anointed. Mm, And when you're talking biblically about the anointed one, you're talking about the King. So it's a little bit of a repetition you know, so Jesus, the, the king department of redundancy department. That's right. How are you a citizen in his kingdom? How is that to be lived out? And that's fundamentally important for us. And as we enter now into uh, find ourselves really in the middle of our end of year drive at the ICC, asking for our ICC family to kind of be as generous as you possibly can with this mission, I'd ask you in light of the of the feast of Christ, the king, how we are serving others through our mission, invite you to participate in Christ's kingship in your citizenship, to live out your citizenship in generous in generosity to others as we look towards 2024 and 2025 and actually have a vision for what God's able to do through our mission. Because I mean, more and more day after day, I'm getting emails from people and we just yesterday from this lady in Malaysia. Malaysia. You know, yeah. And uh, Dr. Cutterback got an email from a nun in, where was it? Uh, uh, Zimbabwe or Zamnia or z- something Zaire, like that. maybe? It yeah. was somewhere wa- way out there. It's like, it's like, wow. I mean, the fact that we're educating people, spreading the gospel in these places is amazing. And, you know, as I was thinking of it right now, I know everyone's getting bombarded with like, help our mission, help our mission. Number one, I want to be very clear. The Institute of Catholic Culture, we are not in a financial crisis. Why? Because we actually manage your donations appropriately and investing them in a responsible way. That's number one. So when we ask for support, it's to grow this mission. It's not, oh, the Institute's going to die. And oh, forget it. I don't want to support organizations. that are like, Oh, we're going to die. We're folding up. No, no, no. We want to be growing out into the third world and, uh, and uh, uh, wherever it is that God takes us across this beautiful uh, gift of creation to be able to serve God's people. And if you believe in this mission, then I ask you to stand with us um, in a special way in this as we prepare for the solemnity of, of Christ the King. Here we go. Let's go. Ezekiel chapter 34. Give us our biblical text, Annie. Yeah. So uh, the first reading for Christ the King this year. Ezekiel 34, as Father was saying, verses 11 and 12 
and then verses 15 through 17. I guess they didn't like verses 13 and 14. Yeah. Oh, it's even better in uh, the epistle. Just wait okay. for that. Okay, okay. The, uh, the responsorial psalm is Psalm 23. The gospel for this weekend, Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. And then the epistle, Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 20 through 26, and then verse 28. There we go. Got all that written down? Let's go. Why don't we yeah. like verse 27? I don't know. But yeah, exactly. I don't know. But you know what I do when I see this stuff? Just to make sure that we're not messing the gems. You always want to look at those verses in between. And be yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Mostly it's just because it's like either a repetition or something like that. But yeah. okay, fine. So we're going to pick it up. Ezekiel chapter 34, verse 11. Yes. Verse 11 through 12 and 15 through 17. Go ahead. All right. Here we go. Thus says the Lord God, I myself will look after and tend my sheep. As a shepherd tends his flock, when he finds himself among his scattered sheep, so will I tend my sheep. I will rescue them from every place where, where they were scattered when it was cloudy and dark. I myself will pasture my sheep. I myself will give them rest, says the Lord God. The lost I will seek out, the strayed I will bring back, the injured I will bind up, the sick I will heal. But the sleek and the strong, I will destroy, shepherding them rightly. As for you, my sheep, says the Lord God, I will judge between one sheep and another, between rams and goats. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, just to start us off, as we always do, just remind yep. us um, about the time in which Ezekiel is prophesying. Sure. So we're going back to the first um, chapter of Ezekiel, chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 1, in the 30th year, in the fourth month, as I was among the exiles by the river by the river Chebar, the heavens were open. I saw a vision of God. So where is he? He's in Babylon. Okay, so Ezekiel is one of the exiles to Babylon. And then he says, on the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. The word of the Lord came to Ezekiel, the priest. So, so Ezekiel's a priest. Yeah, it's important because Ezekiel is prophesying against himself, right? Yeah. Uh, later on, we talk about the shepherds of Israel. And so he's he's very much holding up a mirror. And, but but okay, that's that's one point. Not, not that Ezekiel himself necessarily was sure. a bad shepherd, but you see that see my point. And then what we're going to do is we're going to hold our hand there and we're going to flip back to 2 Kings chapter 24, because what you want to do in a situation like this is you're going to go chat, uh, 2 Kings chapter 24. I'm going to get there. And it's chapter 25 is this is the burning of Jerusalem, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Verse chapter 25, verse nine, and he burned the house of the Lord, right? But then. Uh, I'm going to come back here to chapter 24, verse verse 14, well, to verse 10. At that time, the servants of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came up to Jerusalem, the city, and, was, and the city was besieged. And Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to the city, verse 14. He carried away from all, all Jerusalem, all the princes and all the mighty men of valor, 10,000 captives and all the craftsmen, smiths, none remained except the poorest people of the land. So, well, that doesn't include the priests. So uh, verse 15, and he carried away Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim. Okay. So I'm flipping back. I'm keeping my hand there and I'm flipping back to Ezekiel chapter one and Notice in verse 2, there it is. It was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim. So there's there's Jehoiakim. He takes, he's taken off. And five years afterwards begins the prophecy of Ezekiel. Okay. So Ezekiel ends up prophesying in while he's in Babylon. And so his prophecy is kind of like pre- Jerusalem destruction, mm -hmm. and that's the chapters leading up to chapter 34, or at least chapter 32, in which he's it's full of warning. 
saying you you guys it's, don't it's gonna not gonna end up good right so the the first part of Ezekiel is that and then picking up in 34 is which is where we pick up here is the condemnation of the leaders who have caused this disaster and then this is a critical moment chapter 34 so I, I love this 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 chapter because it's a critical moment in which you can see that the eyes of God's people go from their rulers, who they now have realized are a total disaster to the one who can rule them, and that's the Lord. And chapter 34 represents this movement that takes place in the prophets in which God's people begin to say, wait a minute, the sons of David have proven to be a bunch of worthless bums. Second Samuel 7 that says the throne of David is going to remain forever. We've got what's going on here. How do we understand the throne of David remaining forever? Oh, the only way for that to happen is if God comes and takes the throne. And chapter 34 does this, right? The Lord is going to be shepherd. And and, and so maybe we can talk a little bit about this image of, of shepherd for a moment, Annie. I, I, I'm getting, I don't want to monologue the whole thing. Well, I wanted to know why for the feast of christ the king we're hearing about god as a shepherd instead of about god as king right and so so the idea of shepherd and king of course come together with the person of david king david yeah, yeah. so we can we can just turn there very quickly flip your bibles back to first samuel first samuel let me get there chapter 8 1 Samuel chapter 8, when Samuel became old, Samuel was the last of the judges of Israel. Mm -hmm. When Samuel became old, he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of the firstborn son was Joel, and the name of the second was Abijah, and they were judges in Beersheba. Yet his sons did not walk in his ways, but turned aside after gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Then the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. And said to him, Behold, you are old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to govern us like all the other nations. We've looked at this passage before. I'm not going to dwell on it long, but you know what the problem is, and that is that they want to be like all the other nations, right? They want a king like the kings like around them. Well, what are the, what are the kings around them? A bunch of heathens, a bunch of pagans, pagans. Yeah. right? And already in the book of Deuteronomy, God had, had warned them, you when you come into the land, you may have a king, but don't. Don't do what the nations around you do. So they completely contradict Deuteronomy. And here they ask for a king. And in, in verse 5, so, well, that's what we were reading, like all the other nations, verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to govern us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, hearken to the voice of the people in all that they say, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me as being king over them. So here's the first fundamental thing to remember. The Messiah, the anointed one of God, the king, the first king of Israel, was who? God. God. And the second king of God's people was? Adam. Adam. Who was anointed by God of the Spirit, breathed into him. Yes. The idea of the kingship of God's people is fundamental because they're made in the image and likeness of God, who is king over creation. And this is why they are given dominion, right? What kind of person has dominion? Is a king has dominion. God made us for this, that we would have would have within our hands the things of this world. This is so important when you get to the gospel, the things of this world. And, and then what are we going to do with them? Are we going to use them and abuse them for ourselves? No, we are to live in the image and likeness of God who gives of his life. So all of creation is placed in our hand that we might give life to it, that we might bless it. And make it be everything that it's supposed to become. That is to, to fill it with God's life. That's our job. That was Adam and Eve's job. And that was Saul's job. He failed to do it. And this is why David is made king. Because David is doing just this type of, of, of thing. If you turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 16. Chapter 16. Um, remember uh, the calling of, of David. And he was the youngest of Jesse's sons. And in verse 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are all your sons here? And he said to him, 
There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. So what's he doing? What's David got his hands at, right? What's he, what's he working on? He's taking care. He's having dominion. How do you, like, seriously, a, a shepherd over sheep. I can't imagine a better image of one who has dominion, right? Yeah. He's He's protecting his sheep. He's leading them to the fresh waters. He's bringing them into safety. He's keeping, right? He's pasturing them. So he's, dom- he's dominionating. <laughs> he's, he's got dominion. Yeah. And he's, um, and he's doing it in the right way. Right. And this is why, um, and this is why when he is uh, made king over God's people, there's, there's multiple anointing, anointings for the king. One takes place with the prophet. Uh, then with the closest family, so Judah, and then he's going to be anointed for all of God's people. There's three anointings that happen in the life of a king, and, and then the uh, same thing happens, by the way, with Jesus, right? At the at his baptism with John the Baptist and so forth. There's multiple times in which we say there's this recognition of him as the son of God. That's a whole other thing. But here, David is found as a shepherd, and so Turn with me to 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5. 2 Samuel chapter 5 is the anointing for David over all of Israel, all of God's people. Then all the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said to him, Behold, we are bone of your bone and flesh. In times past, when Saul was king over us, it was you that led us out and brought us in, brought in Israel. Notice the language there, let out and brought in. And the Lord said to you, you shall be shepherd of my people, Israel, and you shall be prince over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to king and, and so forth. They made a covenant. With them. Okay. Now, so here's the point is that God is king. And he chooses a king. He chooses a man who's shown himself to be able to act appropriately toward the things that have been placed in his hands. Right. So if we can talk about David being chosen because he's a shepherd, then we can talk about God then in terms of shepherding his people. Okay. So these images are all the forefront of the mind of the people of God, especially when everything breaks down. Right. The throne city falls. Jerusalem is burned. It's sacked. The king is taken into exile. It appears as though there's no hope. And the reason why there's no hope, because the kings and the leaders of the people refused to be shepherds and rather they became wolves. Yes. And that's what chapter 34 is all about. Well, how did they become wolves? I can simply turn you to Jeremiah chapter 34. Jeremiah chapter 34. We don't have to look at the whole thing. One of my favorite passages right here, Jeremiah chapter 34, verse verse 10 in which 10 and following i'm just going to very fast and they and they obeyed all the princes and all the people who had entered into the covenant that everyone would be set his his slave free right but then verse 11 but afterwards they turned around and took back the male and female slaves so let me just tell you what's going on this is the the moment when the babylonians are about to take jerusalem and the last dish effort they say oh We'll settle the slaves free. Why? Because they weren't supposed to be holding the slaves anyways. They refused to follow the law of God. The rulers of the people were treating the sheep, Israel, not as their sheep, but as their slaves. They were destroying them. Yeah? They were enslaving them. So then now our passage uh, starts to make sense in Ezekiel chapter 34, because now once the disaster happens, once... Once those who are enslaving the people become slaves themselves, because they're no longer living in the image and likeness of God, but they're living in the image and likeness of the evil one. Mm-hmm. Now they become slaves. And now God's people say, now who's going to lead us? Well, they've proven themselves unworthy. And the only one that's worthy is the Lord himself, who's now going to be both our heavenly king and our earthly king. And this moment is un, is absolutely for me. This passage is so powerful. I'm just going to turn back to me to chapter 34, verse one. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. 
prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus is the Lord, ho, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the crippled you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled over them. So they are scattered because there was no shepherd. They became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. They wandered over mountains and, and so forth like that. Okay. And then we pick up our passage in verse 11. Verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep. I will seek them out as shepherd seeks out his flock. When some of, the, of his sheep have been scattered abroad and so forth, right? I will be their shepherd, says the Lord. Verse 15. Yeah, we, we get verse 15. Yes. I myself will be their shepherd. But notice, notice I'm going to turn to verse 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep because you push with your side and shoulder and thrust at the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will save my flock. They shall no longer be prey. I will judge between sheep and sheep and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David, for he shall feed them. He shall feed them and he shall be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David will be their prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. So this is so awesome because now in this moment of the prophets, there comes together both God and man. That God is going to be the shepherd of his people and he will set a descendant of David over them to be their shepherd. Do you see the convergence of God and man? This is the great prophecy which prepares for the coming of Christ, in which from the prophetic standpoint, it's already been told that God is going to come and in the flesh rule over them. Yeah. So very beautiful. And I'm sure you have other questions, Annie, but that kind of gives you the bigger picture. Well, you know what I just keep thinking about it, looking at the responsorial Psalm, which is Psalm 23, like yeah david anticipated this he understood yeah. what you were were just saying that well the lord is my shepherd he knew that even as a little boy right right and we've we've talked about this before the key to psalm 23 is not your grandmother's funeral that's not the image you should have in your mind right now if that's the image you have in your mind that's the wrong image the right image that you have in your mind is first Samuel. Yeah, I give it to you. First Samuel chapter 16. Here it is. He's the youngest of his brothers. And he's the one out in the fields by himself shepherding the sheep. And I've said this before, but imagine that boy out there and he hears, you know, the, the rustling in the in the in the brush, in the sun setting. He's he's the wolves are around. I mean, it's a real reality. There's there, there's a real reality of wolves eating sheep, right? It happens. So David's out there by himself. And who does he turn to in that moment of as a little boy, that moment of uncertainty, that moment of fear is the as the shadow is setting over the valley. He turns to the Lord in prayer and he says, Lord, you're gonna you you're the only one that can protect me. My, my brothers have abandoned me. The only one I can turn to is you. Please, Lord, protect me. And that's David. Right. And that's the image we need to have in mind. And then and then the 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 church and her wisdom applies all of this, of course, to the church. Yeah. So St. Augustine says, the Lord did not say I will provide other good shepherds to do these things, but I myself, he said, will do them. I will commit my sheep to nobody else. You are all right. Brothers, you are all right, you sheep. It is we bishops. It seems who have got to worry. There be apparently not a single good shepherd. <laughs> that's Augustine. Now that's Augustine <laughs> talking about what's going on in his day in the church. Sure, sure. You know, so it's important. I'll just, I'll just maybe a little, a little comment about that. And that is that the shepherd is the shepherd 
in the extent that he is living in the image and likeness of the shepherd, right? Um, but to the extent we talked about this call no man father earlier a few weeks ago, and I, I think it's important to remember that, that while one who has the office of bishop or pastor, right, or for that matter, pope, to the extent that they're not living in the image and likeness of God, they have separated themselves from the body of Christ and 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 ought not to be followed if they are leading the sheep astray. Yes, because it is Christ and Christ alone who is king. It is Christ and Christ alone who is the shepherd. It is Christ and Christ alone who is the Christ, the anointed one. And to the extent that we are incorporated into him, we are made one with him. To the extent that we can say it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Then we become ministers of his ministry, not our ministry. My pastorship is, is only effective to the extent that it's Christ pastoring my church and me seeking to conform myself to that and that alone. But, as I like to say, that is for another homily. <laughs> ah, I got to give it to you. St. Gregory oh. the Great. Oh, I yeah. love this one. Listen to this. Because I've, I've used this image before. You know what happens when you're when you're teaching and you find images that work or you, you have an insight into scripture and it, you're like, I think this is what I can't. I guarantee you the fathers of the church have already thought about it. I guarantee you you're going to find it in the fathers eventually if you're right. Okay, here's what St. Gregory the Great says. You are pastors. Consider that you are pastoring God's flock. We often see a block of salt put out for animals to lick for their well-being. Priests among their people should be like blocks of salt. They should counsel everyone in their flocks in such a way that all those with whom they come to in contact may be seasoned with eternal life, as if they had been sprinkled with salt. We who preach are not the salt of the earth, unless we season the hearts of those who listen to us. We are really preaching to others if we ourselves do what we say, if we are pierced with God's love. If, since we cannot avoid sin, our tears wash away the stains of our life that come with each new day. Hmm. If you are, and this is St. Basil the Great. It's just so good. I can't stop. If you are a shepherd, take care that none of your pastoral duties are neglected. And what are these duties? To bring back that which is lost. To bind up that which is broken. To heal that which is diseased. So important. Our job is to heal that which is diseased, not let the disease fester. I'll say that again. Jesus did not come to accompany the sinner and dialogue with, the, with, with, with error. He came to confront the devil and destroy his dominion and bring healing. We do nothing good for the other by affirming them in their sin. Yeah, we do well for the other to go out and get those who are wandering and then say, my brother, my sister, you're lost. It is only one way back home, and it is through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if you want to come home, I will help you get there and to do so in compassion. Yes. So. Again, I will forego any further comments about the modern world. I was just going to say, I really like the image of you being a salt lick. That's pretty good. <laughs> Gregory the Great. That's awesome. Yeah. That is awesome. Shall we uh, look at Matthew 25 Ma now? Matthew chapter 25, verse 31. 31. Yeah. 31 Matthew chapter 25. And we were right here, I do believe. Matthew chapter 25, yeah. verse 31. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Here we go. Jesus said to his disciples, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne and all the nations will be assembled before him. And he will separate them one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. A stranger, and you welcomed me. Naked, and you clothed me. 
ill and you cared for me in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous will answer him and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? When did we see you ill or in prison and visit you? And the king will say to them in reply, Amen, I say to you, whatever you did for one of the least brothers of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you accursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink, a stranger and you gave me no welcome naked and you gave me no clothing, ill and in prison, and you did not care for me. Then they will answer and say, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or ill or in prison and not minister to your needs? He will answer them. Amen. I say to you, what you did not do for one of the least ones, you did not do for me. And these will go off to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Oh, this is like one of those, this, like, you just kind of like feel the, I don't know, what what's the word I'm looking for? Almost like anxiety. <laughs> You're like, oh my gosh, which side am I going to go on? You know, um, but, you know, I, I, I think, well, that's me putting myself in the gospel, which I shouldn't be doing just quite yet, um, applying it to myself. We need to, to understand what's, what's going on in the moment when, when Jesus is saying this. So can you, um, just kind of give us a little refresher of, of what has been happening and why Jesus would be bringing this up right here in Matthew 25. It's so good to have a vision of what Jesus is looking at. In the gospel. This is one of those tricks of the trade, if you will, when you're doing Bible study. If you can get the geography, like if you can look at it, it's like you can, it just becomes, it just becomes so, it's so like, yeah, it's just the best, right? It's, it's, it's so helpful. So I'm going to just help you do that by taking a look at chapter 24, verse 1. Because G, because he was, he was, Jesus was in the temple, right? And then mm -hmm. he's going up, he's going up to Bethany and back down on these days, right? He's gonna stay, probably staying at uh, the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus, and he's coming back and he's coming down the same Mount of Olives that you know Palm Sunday, coming down that. He's going up and down. It's not that far, probably a what I don't know, forty-five minute walk, an hour walk to Bethany, and then down he he comes. So he's going into the temple, and then he leaves the temple in chapter twenty-four, verse one. Jesus left the temple and was going away. Verse 3, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. Okay. And then now Jesus kind of launches into this cosmic end of world talk, right? That we've been going through the last few weeks. And this is this is the, the next piece of, of his teachings in which he, we're given the sense he's seated on the Mount of Olives. Yeah. So I'm going to pull up for you. I'm going to show you what Jesus, what where he would have been. So right there, there is the Russian Orthodox Church or Monastery of the Ascension. This is where the Ascension took place. This is the Mount of Olives. Remember, woe to you Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs. Mm -hmm. Well, there's your whitewashed tombs, wow. right? They're full of dead man's bones. The Mount of Olives is, is covered in tombs like that because... This is where at the Babylonian exile, the glory cloud departed from the temple and rested on the top of the Mount of Olives, the hill east of Jerusalem, and then ascended into heaven. And, the, and that glory cloud was the, the evidence of the presence of God. And so now God has left Jerusalem and it never returned, right? We know from the gospel of John in chapter one, verse 14, John says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. We have beheld his glory, the glory of the 
only son of the father. So Jesus, the glory of God in the gospel of John, right? It's this glory that then returns and actually comes the same place where the glory cloud left. Jesus now comes back in the flesh and makes his way into Jerusalem. They, they, they bury their dead here so that these would be the first ones to see the return of God. Wow. In hopes of the resurrection. So this is where Jesus is traveling all of Holy Week. And now it says he goes and he sits on the Mount of Olives. Yeah. So you imagine him sitting there and then you have that cosmic view over the city. Cool. And he, it's almost as though he's the king sitting in judgment upon the royal city, much like God sat in judgment upon Israel at the Babylonian exile when the, when the temple was burned. And it's, it's this kind of powerful image that we're given here then in Matthew chapter 25. Does that give you the context you're looking for, Annie? Yeah. And, and just telling people to be ready. I mean, like that's been the whole, the whole theme of, of these past couple of chapters of Matthew, right? Yeah. And of course there's been in these, we keep getting these divisions, right? We keep getting these, the, you got the the five wise virgins and the five foolish virgins, right? Yep. You have the laborers who who bury their talents in the ground and those who invest in them. And now you have another division between the sheep and the goats. Yeah, yeah. What's wrong with goats? <laughs> Everything's wrong with goats. Okay. <laughs> have you ever owned a goat before? No, of course not. Oh my gosh. Okay. Do yourself a favor. You love the Bible. You want to be Go able to kind of get goat? tangible. Go buy a goat. You know, and let the goat destroy your life. And then you'll know what's wrong with goats because goats are like, they're the worst. They, if they stink. Okay. Now any goat herders out there are probably like, no, you don't stink. Well, they don't stink because you stink. Okay. And you don't smell them anymore. <laughs> All right. So you, you got this, you got the smell. You, you really follow in Pope Francis's directives here. You know, you yeah. smell like the goats. Yeah. Um, and uh, that's what he said. The priest is supposed to smell like the, the sheep, right? Sheep. Well, yeah. yeah. You don't want to smell like a goat. Anyways, and the goat eats everything. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, we had we had a goat and we would let it loose on the on the pat like on the fields because we'd have these things called star thistles. Star thistles are the worst. They're like they just, you know, they get into your thing and they're like these poked, you know, they've got oh, yeah. thorns. Mm -hmm. And uh, they eat star thistle. <laughs> you, nothing, you don't want to eat near a star thistle. And these things eat them with their tongue and everything. All right, that's one thing. But the worst part of the goat is this. That uh, now I will tell you that my brother owns a goat. My brother owns a goat. So wow. some people like goat and the goat milk. I've had goat milk before and it's actually pretty good. <laughs> as long as it's not pasteurized, you know, if you drink it raw. So raw goat milk is actually pretty tasty. Okay, now I've completely disgusted half of our, our Bible study group. <laughs> but the goat and the problem with the goat for Jesus is that the goat is not a herd animal. Goats go in different directions. You know, you see mountain goats. You ever see, you see, I mean, they'll kind of hang out in general areas together, but they're always kind of jumping off on their own. They're always going off on their own. If you go to the Holy Land today, there are goat herders. They're still honest to God, Bedouin goat herders. You go drive down like in the Jordan Valley, then you're going in your big tour bus and there you'll be like out in the, in the, in the desert like hiding under a rock is a goat herder and he's got his little lean to shack. And he, that's what they do. They're Bedouins. They live like that out in the middle of nowhere and they've got goats and the goats are going everywhere. So the way that the goat herder takes, keeps his goats together as he takes them out to pasture is he throws rocks at them, rock on that side and a rock on this side so that they keep running toward each other so that they can stay together. Otherwise you're going to go off on their own. They're going to go again. They're going to get lost. Wow. But the, sh but the sheep are different, right? The sheep are herd animals. You ever see, now you've got images of sheep because you've seen the videos of them with the sheep herder going to a town and yep. he's got like 50 or a hundred sheep around him and they're all together, they're together like that. So, so there's your difference. And that's the problem is that Jesus has been with these people that's supposed to be sheep but half of them aren't really faithful they're not really following them they're with him sometimes but they're going off this way or that way right now he's sitting in judgment upon all of these people jerusalem is jammed 
I, I looked it up one time. There's people that speculate on how many people would have been in Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover. And it was like, I don't know, a couple million. Wow. It was crazy. Jerusalem's not a big city. Mm-hmm. You dump some a million people into the walled city of Jerusalem, and it would have been a sea of people camped out. Mount of Olives, everywhere. There's just teeming with people. It stunk. It was noisy. Everything like that. And G- and Jesus goes and now sits on the Mount of Olives and judges the city and says, "Here's what's going on with his people around him." That's that's kind of that gives you the context. Wow. Okay. So. What do you think this would have meant to the early church? Um, um, well, I, I let's not even go there. What is it? What What's he saying to the rulers yeah. that are in there? Yeah, absolutely. Right, because by pulling up this image of sheep and goats, he evokes the memory Ezekiel. of Ezekiel thirty four. And in fact, he does this explicitly in the gospel of John. Hold your hand here and flip with me to the gospel of John to chapter 10, chapter 10, verse seven, John chapter 10, verse seven. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not heed them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. You want to know why they crucified him? Because the good shepherd in the Bible is the Lord himself. Jesus claims in this moment to have divine authority. And, and, and to make matters worse, if he's the good shepherd, then the hypocrites, the woe to you guys that we just looked at, then they're the wolves of Ezekiel 34. Yeah. So when Jesus talks about a sheep, he condemns those guys. And so this is, you know, and how does he condemn them? He condemns them because Jesus has been going around doing all the things that Ezekiel 34 said the Lord's going to do. Healing the uh, healing yeah. up the, the, the remember that? That's why I had to read you that first part of Ezekiel 34, yeah, the yeah. first verses, right? You didn't uh, bind up the wounded and do all these. You didn't do all these things, right? Whatever it was, Ezekiel 34, verse 5 or 6, right in there. You failed to do these things you're supposed to do because you weren't living in my image. And after it's this way Jesus comes and does these things. To show himself to be the one who he is. And then to condemn those who had been appointed to do those very things and were refusing to do them. Right? Jesus goes to the blind. He goes to the paralytic. He goes to the poor. He goes to the harlots. He goes to all these people. And he does not leave them in their illness. He does not accompany them in their sin. He says, make your way, your your life right. This is what drives me. Ah! What's going on in the church today? Yes, we have to go to the the divorcees. We have to go to the heretics. We have to go to the the the, the homosexuals. We have to go out to the all of these people, but not to leave them in their sin. We do no good for anybody doing that. The only good we can do for them is to give them the opportunity to find our blessed Savior and to find the right way of life. And the right way of life is Jesus's way of life. And that is to love the sinner in such a way that they can become the saint. To go to the paralytic in such a way that he can walk again. To go to the blind in such a way that he can see again. That's the mission of the church. That's the mission of the Christian. That's the mission of the bishop. That's the mission of the pastor. That's the mission of the pope. And if we fail to do that, then it's rightful that the, 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 the sheep, we shouldn't ex- what do we expect them, to stay with us? No, they abandon the flock because the shepherd's corrupt. Okay, you're talking about leaders of the church, shepherds and whatnot. Yes. But what about the rest of us? You know, as, uh, uh, as, uh, Annie, you are, you, are, you are anointed. You are a Christian. 
A Christian is a, a Christed person, and that literally a Messiah person, anointed person, to have dominion so that what you do with your hands might restore the kingdom of God on earth. This, everything has been placed in your hands, your children, your home, your job, everything, every person placed in your hands so that you might exercise the dominion of Christ. So, so let me stop blaming the bishops, the pastors, and let me talk, talk to each one of us here because this is something we can do something about. And what does Jesus say we're to do? We're to go out to those who are in need and bring healing. Listen to St. Epiphanius. Does our Lord hunger and thirst? Is he who himself made everything in heaven and on earth, who feeds angels in heaven and every nation and race on earth, who needs nothing of earthly character as he is unfailing in his own nature? Is this one naked? It is incredible to believe such a thing. Yet what must be confessed is easy to believe. The Lord hungers not in his own nature, but in his saints. The Lord thirsts not in his own nature, but in his poor. The Lord who clothes himself is not naked in his own nature, but in his servants. The Lord is able to heal all sicknesses and has already destroyed death itself. The Lord is able to heal all sickness and has already destroyed death itself. Is not diseased in his own nature, but in his servants. Okay, so, so I, I don't need to go on with, with that. The, the question is, what are we going to do about those who are in need? Are we going to sit down as judge, jury, and executioner or a healer in the image and likeness of the heavenly physician? And here, my brothers and sisters, I give you the reason why I've dedicated my life to the Institute of Catholic Culture, because I myself was the stray sheep. I myself was a goat who needed to be saved by the truth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because while I may not have been naked and homeless and hungry in my body, I certainly was in my soul. And others reached out to me and began clothing me, began healing me. And I realized it was a healing much greater than the healing of the body and a hunger much deeper than the hunger of the stomach. And when I was fed in that way and clothed in that way, I found um, a, a, I found what life was all about. And I said, I need to bring this to others. So I ask you, have you experienced that hunger? Have you experienced that nakedness? Then let us go out and clothe our brother and our sister in Christ. Let us bring the saving truths of the gospel of Jesus Christ to others. Let us bring Dr. Cutterback and, and Father Sebastian, Monsignor Pope, and, and, and Dr. Anthony Esselin. And let's bring these healing ministers of Christ to those who are suffering out in the world. We have been given this great opportunity and a life-changing opportunity not only to be clothed ourselves, but to enter into the ministry of Jesus Christ so that when he sees us, he says, I recognize you as my as a as citizen of my kingdom because you've lived in the image and likeness of the king. You've lived in the image and likeness of the shepherd for you have done to others what I have done for you. This feast of Christ the king is an opportunity for us to reflect upon our citizenship and our, ask ourselves, are we willing to live as citizens of this kingdom? If we are, then let us put all of ourselves, all of our lives to this ministry of Jesus Christ. Annie, I think we can move to the epistle. I, I think that that's a good transition to the epistle. First Corinthians chapter 15. First Corinthians mm -hmm. chapter 15. Verse, verse 20 through 26, and then like verse 27. So verse 20, come on, we'll do, we'll do 27 anyways. I'm going to stop you and we'll get in there. Go ahead. Okay. All right, here we go. Starting with verse 20, chapter 15, 15, verse 20. Go ahead. Yeah. Brothers and sisters, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through man, the resurrection of the dead came also through man. For just as in Adam all die, so too in Christ shall all be brought to life, but each one in proper order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming those who belong to Christ. 
Then comes the end when he hands over the kingdom to his God and father, when he has destroyed every sovereignty and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. When everything is subjected to him, then the son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected everything to him so that God may be all in all. Is that the end of the verse? Okay, there we go. Verse 28. Yes, but verse 27, verse 26, the last enemy story is death. Verse 27, for God has put all things in subjection to his feet. But when he says all things are put in subjection under him, it is plain that he has accepted who put all things under him. Yeah, so it's a little bit of a convoluted thing. I think they skipped it just for clarity's sake. Yeah. So, <laughs> but you can see why this is chosen for the Feast of Christ the King. But my brothers and sisters, I'll point out just, just one particular line here that is so fundamentally important for since death came through a man the resurrection of death came also through through man of course the man we're speaking of there is jesus who is the god man but it is to him into him that you are baptized the resurrection of this world will take place at the hand of man because that is god's original plan in paradise and the hand that it will take place the restoration will take place through is the hand of Jesus Christ. St. Paul tells us that we are his hands. If this world out here is decaying, if it is dark, if it is suffering, then we must ask ourselves how it is supposed to gain light and then stick a mirror up in front of our face and ask if we are shining brightly. If we are that salt lick, St. Augustine, take that image home. The, I got to go back. It was so good because I've used, I have said that. How many times I said that we about the salt, you know, you are the salt of the earth. I've always, yeah. Are you making Jesus, making, making it tasty with Jesus? I've always said that so many times. And and then there it is. St. Gregory, the great. Yeah. We who preach are not the salt of the earth unless we season the hearts of those who listen to us. My brothers and sisters, let us go out and season this world that God has placed in our hands so that the dominion of Jesus Christ may be exercised because he loves us too much to do it without us. To Christ our God be glory both now and ever and unto ages of ages. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Institute of Catholic Culture's Sunday Gospel Reflections podcast. The Institute of Catholic Culture is an adult catechetical organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. I invite you to explore all we have to offer, including over 900 hours of on-demand catechetical opportunities, and sign up for our upcoming events by visiting instituteofcatholicculture.org.